Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. President Biden says the U.S. is imposing new sanctions against Russia that aim to hobble Moscow's ongoing invasion of Ukraine. I'm announcing the United States is targeting the main artery of Russia's economy. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. The president's announcement comes as the U.S. is already seeing record high gas prices, and it could mean more spikes in the future. Joining us to explain the economics here is Ryan Kellogg. He's a professor and deputy dean for academic programs at UChicago's Harris School of Public Policy. Also with us is AAA spokesperson Molly Hart. Professor, I'll start with you. Put things into context for us. How much oil does the U.S. import from Russia, and how is it used here? Yeah, so we actually don't import a a large volume of oil and refined products from Russia. It's on the order of about a half million barrels per day. Just to put that in perspective, the U.S. produces um, between 11 and 12 million barrels per day of crude oil. So the total crude and refined products volume we import from Russia isn't all that big. However, you can't sort of switch suppliers in and out. It's not like flipping a light switch. Suddenly shutting off imports from from Russia, even if it's not a tremendous volume, mm-hmm. is still going to cause disruptions. It's still going to increase prices, at least in the short run, until supply chains can, can get rearranged, contracts can be rewritten so that we can obtain that oil and refined product from other sources. That takes time. Not a lot of time, but it takes time. And prices are going to have to go up in the meantime. So we, we count on Russian oil less uh, here in, in the U.S., but the ban is going to cause a significant impact. Yeah, it is. It is going to cause a disruption, and sort of, and a replacement for those barrels of oil will need will need to be found. We're not going to be able to produce that oil ourselves in the immediate run. Again, I'll sort of go back to the light switch analogy. Crude prices are high now, well over a hundred dollars per barrel. That's going to cause U.S. firms to drill more oil wells and complete more shale shale oil wells. But that's not something they can do today, this week, or even this month. That's a process that's going to take through the summer. I see. So what that means is to replace those barrels we're losing, we're going to have to either we're going to have to bring those in from somewhere else, or stop using quite as much oil and refined products in the meantime. And the way that's going to happen is through higher prices that get people to conserve. Molly, let's bring you in here. You know, we are already seeing the impact uh, the professor's talking about on on gas prices here in Chicago. They started rising even before this Russian invasion. So can you talk more about that, Molly, and and talk about how high we can expect gas prices to jump here? Well, I do wish I had that crystal ball to tell you how high it's going to go. (laughs) It's hard to know where the fuel prices will be next month, let alone next week. And a lot of this is due to Russia invading Ukraine. Here in Chicago, today's gas price is $4.77. Yesterday, it was four seventy one. So we saw a six cent increase. A week ago, it was four dollars and thirteen cents. So within a week, we've seen a sixty four cent hike at the pump. Yeah. 
We also want to hear from you, callers. Tell us, how much does gas cost in your area? I'll tell you, I paid $4.99 a gallon to fill up yesterday. So I want to hear what you're seeing and also how these prices are affecting your life and they're, they're affecting your driving habits. So how do gas prices today, Molly, compare with previous years? We are um, nearing record highs. And during COVID-19, there were a few people on the road. So many oil refineries cut back their production. Now, as people are getting back on the road, it's a supply and demand, and not all oil refineries are producing at full capacity. We did do a survey not too long ago about how Illinois drivers are changing their driving because of the gas prices, and 34% are driving less often, 20% are driving shorter distances, Mm -hmm. and many are combining their trips as well and participating in fuel rewards programs. I see. So it is impacting how folks are, uh, how often folks are getting out on the road and, and uh, gassing up their, their vehicles. Let's hear from a caller who's been standing by. Here's Bob in Oak Park who wants to join the conversation. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Doing good. Welcome to Reset. How are Thank the you. gas prices looking in Oak Park? Oh, they're high. Uh, you know, they're in the $4 plus range. And I'm watching people drive around a lot. And Wondering when the conversation is going to start to shift to, hey, it's climate change, and why not take advantage of our extensive public transportation system? Yeah, we do have a, a pretty extensive one, as you said. Great point, Bob. Professor, I'll kick that back to you. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, and I think, Bob, that's exactly right, that traditionally one of the ways people have historically coped with higher gas prices in metro areas like Chicago that have really good public transit is to take public transit. One thing that I might worry about now in the age where, you know, the coronavirus is still out there, though thankfully not to the same extent that it was two months ago, is what will be the willingness of the public to actually go back to public transit the way things were in 2019 um, in a world where a lot of people are still concerned about the virus and in particular sort of have and would have those concerns on on public transit. I think that's an unknown. We'll probably learn a fair bit about that over over the next month, I would suspect as sort of gas prices, you know, remain high and, you know, hopefully sort of the coronavirus continues to recede, but that remains to be seen. And on the climate change point, um, I absolutely agree that this is one of those points in time that really underscores the value of making investments to decarbonize and invest in alternative fuels or electric vehicles so that we're not at risk of sort of suffering from the so that consumers are not at risk from being impacted by these high prices in future events. And professor, I want to revisit something that we started the conversation with. The the demand as we know, it's it's outpacing the supply here, right? So talk a bit more about how much oil the US has and and why we do import from places like Russia and other countries. Prior to the pandemic, U.S. shale oil production was booming. Firms, firms, were, firms were doing wells. Um, the U.S. was actually a pretty significant net exporter at that time. The pandemic, as you may know, really cratered oil prices. It cratered, net, cratered prices for gasoline. Firms stopped drilling, naturally, because they were losing money doing so. Now prices are up again, but 
it takes a long time for producers to start drilling wells again and get going. So what that puts us in is a situation where sort of this big, the big increases in demand and the decrease in supply from from Russia is causing is causing prices to go to to climb back up. The U.S. is still on balance, sort of maybe just a little bit of a net exporter, but we still rely on crude oil from abroad, especially heavy crude oil that our refineries can process. The problem with one issue with shale oil is that the, a lot of the oil we're producing in the U.S. now is really nice, white, sweet crude oil that's actually too good for our refineries to handle. So we've been exporting large amounts of crude oil to other countries for their refineries to process. And we import kind of heavy, gunky stuff from places like Russia, Venezuela, the oil sands up in Alberta, Canada, mm-hmm. and process it here. And it actually makes economic sense to do that. Hmm. Do you expect that European nations will follow suit and ban the import of Russian gas and oil? It's hard to know what to expect. They're under a lot of pressure. And one thing that makes it much harder for Europe to take the same step that the U.S. has done per the president's announcement yesterday is that Europe is much more reliant on Russian crude than we are. Um, only a small amount of Russian crude makes its way to the, to the U.S. 50%, roughly a half of Russian crude, winds up going to Europe. It's a big part of their energy supply, and it's much more costly to, for Europe to shut that off. Let's hear from Sean, who's calling from Lyle. Hi, Sean. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Um, yeah, I, just to kind of echo what was being said, as well as just add a comment, you know, obviously the gasoline prices are, are difficult, but it is one of those things where if this is the kind of the sacrifice that we have to make to kind of show support for Ukraine right now, it does make me think maybe this is the cost of the average American citizen to truly show that support. It's unfortunate and it's it's not something that's easy, but it, it also might then spur, as was just stated, more energy independence as opposed to dependence. Yeah, that's a great point, Sean. And appreciate your call. And, and uh, Molly, it, it reminds me of, you know, something you briefly mentioned earlier in the call. Just you know, this higher gas prices is just our contribution to the war in Ukraine. Right. Everything you know with Ukraine. With Russia invading Ukraine, it's it's certainly affecting what we're paying at the pump. There are definitely things that people can do to save for gas prices. You know, people can, you might want to consider paying in cash versus credit card to help just reduce a few cents. Some retailers charge extra per gallon for customers who pay with a credit card, you know, and then also enroll in savings programs. And you also want to make sure you maintain your vehicle to ensure optimal fuel economy. And like I mentioned earlier, combined errands, but something people don't realize, too, is everyone should be slowing down. Fuel economy diminishes significantly at highway speeds above 50 miles per hour. And to add one more, drive conservatively and avoid aggressive driving. Aggressive acceleration and speeding reduces fuel economy. Yeah, great tips, Molly. And we are also taking your calls. So tell us, are you noticing higher gas prices in your area? And talk to us about how the prices are affecting your life and your driving habits. Let's hear from Linda in Hyde Park. Hi, Linda. Welcome to Reset. You there, Linda? Hello. Hi. Hi. How is this affecting you? 
Well, I mean, I'm definitely seeing the difference at the pump. Um, I have to drive my daughter to school. It's about 40 miles a day because of the transportation issues with CPS. Oh, wow. Um, and, then, and then the reimbursements are not coming in like they should. So, And then I work on the west side of Chicago, so that's additional mileage. So I can't really slow down. I mean, I can't not take my daughter to school or go to work. Did you I'm say 40 miles going. away? Um, 20 miles there or 20 miles back. I see. There and back. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so 40 miles a day. So you're really feeling this uh, this pinch. Yes, it takes me. I fill up like twice a week, which is about 80 to $100 a week. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I almost cried when I, I, I think I put half a tank in yesterday <laughs> because um, I think I was, I was rushing, uh, but uh, it was almost $40. So yeah, had I filled up, it would be just around 80. So uh, I can only imagine uh, what you're dealing with, and, and I, I really do hope we get some relief soon. Thanks for sharing that uh, that story, Linda. Uh, Professor, hearing Linda's story, you know, listening to the other callers, can you explain again why we're seeing gas prices rise so quickly, even though the U.S. doesn't rely on Russia and their crude oil all that much? Yeah, and it really all comes down to the fact that the oil, the oil market is a truly global one, and the U.S. is deeply integrated into it. There are some types of crude and refined products that we export. There are other types of crude oil and refined products that we import. So if the price in other parts of the world goes up, in this case because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, that means that even though we produce a lot of crude oil ourselves, the price for, for oil, gasoline, diesel, and so on that we're going to pay, that's going to go up, going to go up along with it. Yeah. Um, and sort of the price we pay is going to be dictated really by the global supply and demand balance. And sort of unfortunately, what that what that means is that people people like Linda who have to have to commute long distances, and it's very hard to change those commuting patterns on a very short notice. Like kids have to go to school, you right. have to go to work, and so on. You wind up paying the price. Yeah, absolutely. Here's Ken in Arlington Heights. Hi, Ken. Welcome to Reset. Hi, good morning. Uh, a couple of thoughts. I, I am a, um, a Lyft driver, part-time Lyft driver, and paid 471 yesterday. I have a large car, uh, and so it, it's going to make um, me think a little bit about where I'm driving, what rides I'm going to accept, where I'm going to pick up rides. And um, I think it's also going to slow down some some ride share, whether it's Uber or Lyft, from actually working. So it might get a little bit more difficult to your point earlier about public transportation. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I personally, after I graduated college, I, I swore off I would never take public transportation again. Mm-hmm. Uh it took it so many years, but I, I think it's really going to affect uh, uh, the rideshare industry and taxi cabs in general. Yeah, now public transportation isn't looking so bad after all, right? Good point, Ken. Thank you for, for calling. And, and Molly, of course, there he's talking about changing driving habits, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, another question for you, though, Molly, the, the change of seasons, does that play a role in rising rising prices? Excellent question, and it does. We will be switching from our winter blend to the summer blend in March and in April. The summer blend is more expensive to make. It has more additives. So we're going to see a few cents increase because of that. We also um, have spring break and summer approaching. 
And with that, there's going to be more people on the road taking their trips. And that is also because of supply and demand that might also pay. We might be paying a little bit more at the pump because of that. And another thing, too, is that oil refineries go into seasonal maintenance in the spring. So for a short period of time, they won't be producing at full production. So these all these little things can also weigh into what we're paying at mm. the pump. And, and Molly, just so we're clear, you talked about the different blends of gas. Explain that a bit more. Sure. So the winter blend is is cheaper. And so, and as I said, the summer blend is a little bit more, it's more expensive to make. The thing, though, with the summer blend, too, is those additives, the price of those additives is also going up. But there is always a seasonal fluctuation in gas prices. Spring, summer, more people on the road, taking the road trips. Fall, it goes down a little bit, so the gas prices go down. And then the winter, the prices usually go down a little bit, too, because people aren't going out and driving as much. I see. Professor, you've you've written about the challenges of a clean energy transition. Is this a moment to really lean into that? So I, historically, sort of moments of high fuel prices have been moments where the U.S. has taken steps to do things like improve fuel efficiency and try to become less dependent on oil and gas in particular. This happened in the 70s with the first sort of round of oil crises when the fuel economy standards for automobiles first came in. Um, this could be such a moment. There is legislation pending in Congress in the Build Back Better bill um, that has uh, sort of a number of provisions that would increase penetration of renewable technologies, alternative fuels, vehicle elect- electrification. Doing those sorts of things, it's not going to help in the immediate term. There's really sort of you, you can't do an energy transition in, the, in a couple months. When it comes to energy security, the value of really leaning hard into an energy transition is that it helps you whenever the next crisis hits, whether it's you know three years from now, five years, 10 years, whenever it comes, mm-hmm. it will inevitably come. It sure would be nice to have a transportation system at that time that didn't depend quite so much on prices for oil and gasoline that are notoriously volatile. Let's hear from a couple of callers here before we wrap. Here's Adam in Roscoe Village. Hi. Hi, Adam. How's it looking for you? Well, uh, I run a custom carpentry and fabrication business on the south side of Chicago. We had to go do a delivery today in Lake Forest. It's one of those things where we have to transfer the cost of the gas onto our customers and our clients for their goods and services that they're getting from us. So people are going to get hit in, in, in multiple ways. We definitely need to show support to Ukraine. Just the tertiary cost of everything else seems mm-hmm. like it's going to be going up for a little while. It's a domino effect. Now you've got to start charging people more. Thanks for calling, Adam. Uh, we've been speaking with Professor Ryan Kellogg from UChicago, also Molly Hart with AAA. I want to thank you, too, and the callers as well. Appreciate your time. That's it for today's podcast. Thank you so much for spending time with us. For more local conversations about the world around you, tune in every weekday afternoon to this podcast. And follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Have a great day and we'll meet again tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.